All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hey there it's michelle norris i'm host of a podcast called your mama's kitchen when i travel i'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when i'm not at home and one of the things i love to do when i am at home is entertain and airbnb allows me to do that when i was in california recently i rented a house that had a great kitchen and when we were sitting around the table we're all thinking we're in someone else's house someone could be in all of our homes as well If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 114 of the DFO Rundown. And guess what? This is our post-trade deadline episode presented by Manscaped. After lighting the lamp, hit the showers with this all-in-one skin and hair care kit that covers you from head to toe. Literally. Manscaped. It's trusted below the waist. Now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code DFO21. The code is DFO21manscaped.com. We uh, welcome to the show a gentleman who's uh, got some good scaping above the head. That's uh, Frank Saravalli. <laughs> Frankie, how you doing? Good. I always say Manscaped, it's not a gift for you. It's a gift for your significant other. <laughs> it's very true. It is. Uh, it's very true. Well, Frank, we, uh, we made had it. a week off. Lots has happened. Yeah, we made it to the other side. Tyler asked me the other day how I was doing, and I said I felt like someone going down a hill on a scooter with one wheel. And somehow I made it to the bottom. And uh, here we are on the other side of the trade deadline. And I don't know, feels like I have a life again. Like, dude, you must be glued to your phone for like 72 hours. Like, do you have to keep an alarm on that's like, so it beeps in the middle of the night or do you at least get a middle of the night off? I know. I, I actually wait until, um, 
I, I actually check in with a few people, especially the night before deadline, before going to bed, like, Hey, are you working on anything? And I'll usually get a no, go to bed. Or I'll like, Hey, got anything cooking? And they'll always respond with some sort of like snide, just popcorn, like some sort of dad joke, um, that signals that I can go to bed. Um, but honestly, it's not the 72 hours before it's, I felt like I was chained to my desk for six weeks. Like so many, you know, just prepping our site and so many stories, trade targets, boards, and, and all the other deadline coverage that we had heading into it, Chris Peters, Matt Larkin, so many Scott Burnside, um, you know, so much great work heading into it that, you know, there was a lot to put together and I'm really proud of that. Our show, our live stream on Monday and, like we had massive, massive traffic numbers. Like the site literally broke a couple times because that's how many people were on it. So um, it was a fun deadline and lots in the mix. Lots of 28 out of our top 50 ended up being traded, Jay. It's pretty good. Not bad. Not bad at all. So, uh, well, yeah, like I, it's hard to get the top 50 all hit because there's never that many trades. So yeah, if you get 28 out of 50, that's pretty good. Yeah, well, it's it's over the six week period, sort of leading up to the deadline season, and um, it's amazing how the board changes, especially in that last ten days. Like, think about all the guys that were off the board: Giroux, Ben Sherratt, um, you know, that whole group of players that were traded first to then head into deadline day and have the top seven all go. Um, that was pretty cool. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of things in the mix. Marc-Andre Fleury entered deadline day. Number one, he ends up getting traded to Minnesota. Um, and yeah, it's been deadline seasons over. Like I said, feel like I have a life again, Tuesday took the day off for the first time since Christmas, walked some holes, got in some golf. It was just good to like get out and breathe some fresh air. Oh, Hey buddy. It's great. It was 18 degrees in Edmonton on Wednesday here. So wow. it was, uh, I don't know what that Celsius. I think that's like 74 or something. Yeah. So. 68, somewhere around there. So, um, big week for you as well. I see you got your San Jose sharks Jersey on, you know, it's funny. Your nephew, Noah Gregor has been in the league a long time now. It feels like, and to think that last night, Thursday night was his first trip back home to Edmonton to play a game. It was a big reminder for me of all the simple things we've lost during the pandemic. Well, it was literally a two year wait. Cause uh, if you go back to March, it was March 25th where he was uh, scheduled. The sharks were scheduled to come to Edmonton and, you know, had, uh, you know, you're planning with tickets and everything. And, um, and, and I know how stressful it is for a young guy. Like he was a rookie then his first year. So I was kind of taking the lead and getting everything organized for our family and stuff like that. And then obviously COVID hit. So everything's postponed. And then last year you, you couldn't travel, you couldn't uh, go see any of the games. And, you know, obviously you, I watch a lot of them on TV. I record every game if I'm working and doing other stuff and then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll watch it the, the next day, but it's just different, just like it is at any time. Time, but you go to a live game and it was it was very different you know i have an eight-year-old son so his cousin and you know our family's really close you know my brother and i are best friends our sister we're all tight so we see each other a lot so um you know we got a suite uh together and um you know noah and, and myself I'd, everybody got sharks jerseys as a gift 
And, uh, you know, he had autographed every one and saw a little note to each one, kind of personalized them. And, but you never really wear those. So, um, it was the first time everybody's together and you're wearing it and, you know, you get to warm up and, you know, I, I was joking with him for a while. I said, buddy, you better be buckets off. Like I, if I was in the NHL, I'd be bucket off guy. Yeah, all no the time. Bucky warmups. Yeah. All like the time. that's gotta happen. And so he's been doing that lately. And even you, know, you though, with no hair, you'd go, Hey no buddy, I, I see nurse and Cassian <laughs> and a few uh, Nick Benino and others. Oh yeah, man. Show off the dome when you have a good shape head you got to show it off so um the uh so he was there and and so my my son who's who's not you know he's not very artistic but he made a big sign i saw that uh, for the you know that was like welcome home and and we got there early right behind the net and you know so noah's skating around and you know i get it it's pretty nerve-wracking exciting your first game and so he's not really paying attention then it was like his sixth time around yeah, he takes a shot. He looks up and he sees the the sign in Beckett there, and he has like a massive grin on his face. And that's awesome. And, you know, my, my son's pretty fired up, and you know, Noah's sister's there and everything. And so, because I remember talking to her about how she's really kind of you know, you, you, she lost her brother at sixteen when he moved away to go chase the dream in the WHL, mm-hmm. and so. For her, as, a, as you know, she was only 13 when he's 16. And so that's, you know, you kind of forget about that stuff. And so for her, it's been pretty cool just to see him live. And that was the first time even his sister and brother got to see them live. So it was emotional. But Frank, I'll tell you to add to it. And this one's this one's going to probably hit you and a lot of our listeners. So I don't know if you saw the game or not. I'm not sure if they broadcast it on TV. But um, earlier in the day, I'd found out that um, every lots of teams do this where they have a flag bearer who comes out and stands mm-hmm. on the blue line. And, you know, it's a big thrill for a lot of kids, right? Like you're standing there and some players are great. You know, um, you know they give the kid a tap and whoever it is. And so they had a, a little boy who came out uh, yesterday and uh, he's five years old. Uh, his name is Ben Stelter and uh, he's got stage four uh, brain cancer, mm. which obviously isn't good. And uh, anyway, his father, you can follow along his story online. He kind of updates you where it at. And so Ben comes out and they had a little helmet cam on top of him. And as you know, a little five-year-old with cancer who's spent a, like a lot of the last year in the hospital, you know, he's been practicing his skating. So he comes out and Connor McDavid meets him halfway and brings him on the blue line. And the kid gets a standing ovation. And geez, it still cra- it chokes me up just thinking about it because yeah. you're just like, here's all these kids who are now grown men and their families get to see them. And Ben's parents might not even see him see his sixth birthday. And you're just like, holy shit. So I'm an emotional guy to start. So now we see this and I'm kind of like a mess a little bit. And But that just added to it. Cause I know Frank, you have two young kids and yep. you know, when you, when you take a moment to think about like what that would be like. And so for Mike and his whole family this, and, and the order of fans who gave him a standing ovation and then for the orders to, to bring him up to the podium, I'm not sure if you saw the Zach Hyman clip or not, but yep. you see teams do that. And, and that can make such a difference for, for a family going through such a hard time. So that really made last night uh, even more special for me. Yeah. So that's amazing to see. I, I tweeted out the, um, the photo of uh, that the Oilers had sent out. They just said after the game, this one was for you, Ben. And so just some of the pictures are so awesome to see. And um, just a lot of emotion for you at the game last night. I mean, between Ben and Noah and, and, you know, it was 103 games for Noah to, to get back to the, to Edmonton. Like that's a long time. And like I said, a, a reminder for everyone, you know, first off, you know, with Ben, just, you know, sort of how lucky we are 100%. to, to, uh, to have healthy kids and to have healthy families. And, um, and then for Noah, it's like, 
just the simple joy of being able to watch uh, an NHL game in person. That wasn't something that existed for a long time, uh, certainly in Canada. And now uh, to get him home and to play a game in front of friends and family, I see you still have your shark jersey on. Did you sleep in it? Uh, no, no, but I thought I, I thought I'd uh, support the uh, the teal. It's a sick jersey, by the way. Like, there's yeah. a lot of people that see it. There's like, like the Sharks have always had nice jerseys, yeah. And uh, so, so that's a good because I'm not a big you know jersey guy, but uh, I'll definitely wear this one. Uh, you know, when nephew comes in. The other thing is, Frank, like for me, having covered the league for 20 years, there's no guarantee. Right. That guys how like I've seen guys who played three years, they're out guys who play six years. All of a sudden they're in the minors. Like, so, you know, that's why for me, like I watched that game very Just different one game, like getting yeah. one game is such yeah. a monumental achievement to, to last in the league a hundred and then to make it 200 or three. It's, it's incredibly impressive. I saw, by the way, some of the photos that you posted, uh, everyone in the suite was wearing Gregor 73 jerseys. Did it looked like he gave them all an inscription or signed them all? Yeah. So I had, uh, two years ago, I, I got a deal with one of my buddies at a store. So I ordered them all for our family and was going to surprise them. We we're all going to wear them. And then it got delayed. So I kept them. And then as, as a gift at, at 2020 Christmas, you know, I would know, I said, Hey man, like, this is what I got for everybody. Why don't you sign them all? So he came over to my house and, and personally, uh, you know, signed a little note. Cause you know, like oh, I said, awesome. our family, our family's pretty tight, yeah. you know, so he wrote a different little message for, for everyone. And it was, it was, you know, it was a cool deal. Like a few of his cousins who are older, but they're like, you know, 16 and 18, they're in the suite and they're just like, I can't believe he's in the NHL. Cause he's still just their cousin. Right. Yeah, and I think exactly. it's different when you see it live. Cause for me, like I watched the game very differently last night. Like I literally, I'm going to have to watch it again today for work purposes, because I don't, I didn't really focus on the goals. I really kind of had him on the ISO cam and you're, you're watching just a lot of the stuff. And I was just kind of enjoying it and taking it all in saying, man, you know what? Uh, like I, I grew up, I didn't have kids young. So, you know, I went to a lot of his games and uh, him and his brothers and my sister has three boys. And so I've been to a lot of small town rinks and I love it. And mm -hmm. uh, so it was just kind of, you sit back and you're like, good for him. Like, I'd like to see people, I don't care what walk of life, right? Like when somebody first one from your family graduates from university, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's a, uh, it was pretty fun. And I knew my brother, I saw him chase the dream and he got close and went to a few NHL camps, but didn't get it. So, you know, I, I could see him and how you're just like, wow, it's uh, it's kind of neat to see uh, your, but, your son make it. No question. But then to see like all that went into it, which you got to witness firsthand. And then also, you know, just from our perspective, like you, you go to a lot of games I've been to, you know, so many games I couldn't count. Um, there's no emotion in it for us. No. Like we, it's just going to work and yes. you watch it and it's sterile uh, because that's what you're programmed to do. But for you last night, like I, I don't, I can't tell you the last sporting event I, and it, it, unfortunately it's kind of sucked the enjoyment out of going to every other game. Like if I go to a, a major league baseball game or an NFL game or whatever it is, I, I don't, I don't have that same fandom excitement. Like tonight I'm going to go over to the uh, sweet 16 that stops through Philly, the March madness. Like I won't have any of the same enjoyment that other people around me will. And I, I kind of feel a little bit like a sociopath because I'm like, if I clap or cheer or whatever, it's like, just because everyone else is doing it, I feel like I probably should be like, this is the proper emotion to have. It's just, that's how we're wired now being in media and, and for you to, to get a chance to go and, and have that enjoyment again, I think is really awesome. Oh, dude, I can tell you, man. Um, 
like prior to last night, like that night's the first time ever, you know, at an NHL game since I started working. Then it was like, you're like a fan. But I go back to the games, games. I went to the WHL playoffs when Noah's in Prince Albert and, you know, they won the league that year with the Raiders in 2019. And at the old Art Hauser Arena, shout out to everybody in PA, sick little barn, man. I love those small town barns. And it was jammed to the rafters. And I had my son and my brother, we were there for game seven when they won in overtime. And honestly, that was the last time. And that, that might have been even better because you're like in the crowd you're going crazy and it was it was a lot of fun like last night i kind of knew that you know the team i'm rooting for wasn't going to win right like mm-hmm. the sharks just aren't as talented as the orders so um but it was more so taken in the moment but you're right it is very different and it's it's a reminder of just how fun sports can truly be yeah that's the point it should like that's literally the point of fandom is rooting for your team when you know that they they might not be the most talented yeah. Oh yeah. You have to, you stick with it. And so, um, you know, it was, it was loads of fun and there was, you know, like there's just lots of things I noticed. Like there was a, an, an Oiler fan, a, a puck uh, went into the crowd and this Oiler fan catches it. And there's a, a kid sitting right behind him in a shark's jersey and he turns around and gives it to the kid. Kid's like six years old. He's just fired right up. It's like the greatest gift he's ever had. Right. So, you know, little things like that, that normally I would never be watching for, cause I'm kind of, you know, I'm focused on the game or, Hey, who's changing, who's on the next line. So it's kind of nice where you can kind of maybe uh, just in, turn your brain it off. all in. Yeah, yeah. Take it all in. So, uh, yeah, that was fun. Awesome. Yeah. So, Hey, let's get to it. You and I haven't talked a lot about the, uh, the trade deadline now that's come and gone. And I think there's, you know, Frank, I've seen a lot of chatter online and talking about, I think the one trade that's not getting as much hype as it should. Cause when I look at the importance of the player and what he's going to do on a team, that's actually been rolling since, since January 1st, and then another big win last night, the Boston Bruins and a Hampus Lindholm, like, hey, I know Florida got Sherratt and Giroux, and that's big for them. But that Hampus Lindholm trade, Frank, like to me, when I look at, at impactful trades, that one's right near the top of my list because he's playing, going to be playing huge minutes for a team that's since January 1st got the second best record in the National Hockey League. Yeah. And guess who's knocking on the door of the not just the Toronto Maple Leafs, but the Tampa Bay Lightning. Oh, that's a race, man. You see that? Three it's points crazy. separating those teams. It's the only the only thing close that we have to a playoff <laughs> race this year in the East is who's going to have what seed and what's the matchup going to be the Atlantic. And that's actually going to be really important because, you know, especially if you can hit it at the right time, what if you're Boston and you can knock off one of those teams in the first round, whether it be Florida or Tampa, that would be wild the way that those teams have geared up as well. Well, Hey, don't look now, but there's a legit chance we could have Boston Toronto again. So, uh, yeah, there is, um, <laughs> you know, what's funny. I, so why don't we do this daily face off round table every week on, on Fridays and Matt Larkin asks a question and everyone replies all in the email. And the question this week was, what is your predicted Stanley cup final matchup? Oh. And I, and I stored this stat in the back of my head. Um, <laughs> A while back, I have a friend who's a a big gambler, big hockey gambler, and he's made a ton of money over the last decade by predicting or betting on the exact Stanley Cup final matchup. Like he does it in March every year and he Hmm. throws a bunch of money on matchups that are 60 to one, 80 to one, 100 to one, whatever it is. And he cashes huge tickets and his, his thought process without giving his secret away is he's found that one stat above anything else is an incredible predictor 
of team success in the playoffs. And it's score adjusted Fenwick since March 1st. So every year from March 1st on, how does that team handle, you know, scoring attempts, unblocked scoring or shot unblocked shot attempts from March 1st on. So basically the most important chunk of the regular season. And I looked up the stat yesterday to help me answer the question. And I found that since March 1st, the Boston Bruins are second in that category. Who's first? Carolina, I think. Ooh, all right. Uh, yeah. And then you pick who was the top West team? Colorado, maybe? Uh, they were actually a little bit further down. I'm going to find oh. you the stat, but it like I was really intrigued by that. Now saying, I'm wondering, did you ask him because the NHL usually finishes, you know, April 8th or 9th and now it's right. You'd have to adjust, adjust it adjust back a couple thing. weeks yeah. this year yeah. because of the deadline, but yeah. it, it's also usually a good time to do it because um, teams are set at that point. Right. Totally. Yeah. So if you're going on NHL.com this year, the stat is you sat percentage close. That's, that's the category you look under. If you want to keep, tabs on it as we get closer, but the hurricanes are one, the Bruins are two, the Panthers are three and the wild are four. They're the top team in the West. The Colorado avalanche are down at 15. So that's anyway, it may mean something. It may mean absolutely nothing. So I picked my Stanley cup final matchup, oddly enough to be Carolina against Minnesota. And, and my reasoning was, First off, first off, I shouldn't be allowed to even pick a cup final matchup because I picked Winnipeg to win the Stanley Cup. They're not going to make the playoffs. This is the second time in five years that I've picked a Canadian team to win the cup and they didn't even make the playoffs. Ooh. Shout out to all you Oilers fans who still chirp me on social media. Um, but I picked the wild because it, I think if any team is properly geared up to take down the abs in the central, it's Minnesota. They're big. Their forward group is heavy, heavy, heavy. They've got skill. They can score. Their defense is mobile and they've got flower in net. Now they're a team that's pretty well set to at least go head to head with Colorado. And if anyone has a good chance to knock them off in that division, not saying Calgary on the other side, then I think it's Minnesota and on the East, those, those other teams are going to be beating the crap out of each other in the first two rounds, Florida, Tampa, Boston, Toronto, if that's what it ends up being in that bracket. Oh, and, and please NHL gods make the Metro and the Atlantic stay in their own divisions. I don't care how you make it. It looks like Washington's going to be the eighth seed. So then Carolina has got to win uh, the number one because it would be foolish if you don't have the Atlantic four and the Metro four playing each other. So I agree. Uh, with still, you. So I would, I would love to see the NHL make a quick change. No one should complain about it. If it's four and four, we go move on. Everybody would agree, but they won't do it. But um, I do want to say one other thing, Frank. You mentioned Minnesota. I just wrote an article and I was looking up defensemen goals against per 60 at five on five. And the best in the NHL, Jared Spurgeon from the Minnesota Wild. So that might uh, that might match with uh, with your other statistic. He Now, he doesn't play the most minutes, right? He plays about 15 per game, which is still mm-hmm. a lot. But, uh, you know, and that was prior to Flurry. So uh, and he's on he's one of their top guys, plays tough matchups. He doesn't uh, he doesn't give up goals against, which to me is always a big stat. Five on so five. it's wild to me, though, that the sports books don't like Carolina at all. They're, they've arguably been the most consistent team in the East. 
they haven't had any dips all year. They're, no. They've been cruising right along at 720, 725 the entire season. Yeah. Tampa had a dip. Toronto obviously had a dip. Even Florida for a stretch in December, they had a dip. Yeah. Boston started on a dip. Like Carolina's never had one. So all these other teams are going to be beating the crap out of each other in the Atlantic. And not to say it's going to be a cakewalk in the Metro, but I don't know. I think there's a possibility that whoever gets through that second round looks at the conference final and takes a deep breath and is like, oh, it's Carolina. And then they get run over. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you, you look at it and like in the East, I'm not sure there's, I would be much more comfortable in betting Colorado simply because I think they have less likelihood of, of having tougher matchups. Like the, the eight teams, even Washington, because of how they're built, um, you know, they, they've got a little bit of uncertainty in goal. There's no question, but um, you know, those other teams, I mentioned Boston and the Lindholm trade, like that is a huge deal for them. The Rangers have Shesterkin. I know they give up a ton of shots and everything, but they got Shesterkin and we've seen goalies steal stuff and Tampa's Tampa and Pittsburgh's got a boatload of experience and Tristan Jari's playing out of his mind. Like there's, I don't see like, w- regardless of how these seeds happen, when that first round starts, I think Carolina's favored. You know, I probably would like to think Florida's favored but I don't think it's going to be massive, right? Like, I don't know no. if any of those teams lose this year that I'll be like, Oh geez, that's a big upset. Like this isn't Columbus Tampa of 2019. No, but what is kind of mind blowing is that one of Tampa or Toronto is not, uh, not sorry. One of Tampa or Florida is not making it past the second round. That's still mind blowing. Yes. Yeah. Well, you, but you look at where t- Tampa right now, Frank, don't look now. Kucherov struggle. He's got what one goal in ten games. John Cooper's even talked about seeing the struggle. Toronto is, and is what uh, I think they're a point ahead of uh, Tampa right now. Now Tampa has a game in hand, and Boston's a game behind them. Like that race, Tampa. We could see a Tampa, Florida, Toronto, Boston first round in the Atlantic Division, which would be the best from a rivalry perspective. Yeah. I- is that still not likely though, is it? Well, think about it. Boston's one point back of, of, uh, of Tampa. So if Tampa goes to fourth and Boston's third, then it's Boston, Toronto and it's Florida, Tampa, right? Because right. Carolina now Carolina has to beat Florida to, to make sure that they stay in their division, right? Cause Washington looks like they're the number eight, the second wall card. Okay. Right? So let me just look at the, uh, and points so percentage, playoff, Frank. I know you're no, big points. Not, not points, points percentage. percentage. I'm actually looking at um, hockeyviz.com. We talked about this before. Mike and Blake McCurdy, he's always got this model and, and how it models out with the games remaining. Yeah. He says Florida's first, likeliest first round opponent is Washington, then Boston, then Tampa, then Toronto. So for yeah. Toronto, it is most yeah. likely is Boston. Yeah, well, there 31%. you go. Thirty-one percent. There you go. Hey, 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 but it's it's very close. Yeah, Boston thirty-one, Tampa twenty-nine. Yeah, so that's what I mean. Like it's legit now. So it's uh, it'll be uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Now we we had Luke Robitaille on switching to the West. Are you surprised the Kings did nothing? Um. Yeah. Well, first off, no players with term moved. I think they tried. Yeah. I think they tried on a few guys. I wouldn't be surprised if they were in on the, in the mix on Arturi Lekkonen. Um Guys under control, I think were there was their key and the contenders stepped up to pay the big prices to get those guys. Yeah, Tampa, there was. Colorado, they got Hagel. 
Colorado got Lekin in. Those teams were willing to pay for guys that especially don't make a ton. And Lekkinen is going to be due a raise. So it'll be interesting to see if, if Colorado ends up keeping him or they end up flipping him in the summer because they've got a ton of guys to pay as well. Yeah. Wow. That's, you know, I know Edmonton fans are wondering what happens to their team because you got Kane as a UFA and then you have uh, Yamamoto and Pugliarvi who are RFA. So guys are going to have to get raises and Yamamoto's on fire uh, right now. He's got seven goals in his last eight games. So he's pushing probably score 20. You score 20, your, your arbitration number like uh, NHL teams would love to have MLB arbitration. NHL players would hate it, but because yeah. uh, it's a significant like NHL players, NHL might- players would like to have MLB top end contracts yeah well that's four true years 200 million bucks are you oh, kidding me goodness yeah it's uh it's you could, 200 million bucks you could get uh like five years ago that would buy you the florida panthers and half of the coyotes <laughs> yeah you could have an entire franchise yeah that's yeah, a different world for sure now um frank i know tyler had asked us before i thought colorado was going to be the busiest team they end up adding four players if you look at the trade deadline week right uh you mentioned lekin and they got cogliano they got manson like man, i think they checked a lot of boxes the colorado avalanche and joe sackick who was the uh, fourth as, guy um cogliano lekin uh manson and sturm sturm oh right, right. the sturm right. for joe swap yeah forgot and, about uh, that one and um, I, I look at at Colorado and man, like they check boxes. Sturm can win some p- faceoffs and kill penalties. Manson gives them a physical banger on the back end. Cogliano, they needed some speed in their in their bottom six. And you know, Lekkinen's just you know you've been trumping him since early February as as a real good jack of all trades, helpful player can do a like to me he he easily fits the the mold of a uh, Goudreau Coleman for Tampa a few years ago if if we're going off a kind of like the what you want to add to a team man I really like what Colorado did and it was injuries a- injuries have been their big issue Frank if you yeah. look at the at the postseason the last two years if they stay healthy man it's hard to think anyone in the West is knocking them out. I, when I did the the story outlining every team's deadline priority, I said, what do the Colorado avalanche need health? Yeah. That was it. That, that was the answer. So they needed from their goaltenders, especially that's really their key. Um, you know, I think that was definitely a cause for trepidation and concern for Colorado. Um, you know, even just approaching the deadline, we, we, we think these guys have played really well. Their numbers are fantastic. Can they stay healthy? That's it. And wow. Um, it's funny that story that I wrote, the, it was, it was imitated as well about the five players that could be this year's Barkley Goodrow or Blake Coleman. A couple of them ended up getting moved. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Hagel, number one, Arturi Lekkinen on the list as well. Like, it's interesting that teams were kind of going through that clearly that same exercise in terms of where can we find value to add these types of pieces to our team. What do you make of uh, Tampa Bay and uh, you know what they gave up for Hagel? Well, I it's I think on paper it sounds like a lot, but I think when you go back and you review uh, the fourth round picks that went to to Tampa they don't look like on paper, they mean a lot, but when you consider that the two first rounders that they gave up are, are likely going to be in the thirties anyway, it's basically like they traded down two rounds. Yeah. 
they didn't get out of the draft totally. They traded down two rounds and it's almost like it's a great return for Chicago because they're not going to be good for a while. And that contract for Hagel is worth way more to Tampa than it is to Chicago. That's why he ended up moving. Um, but the two fourth round picks kind of stuck with me. Like this isn't really as big of a price as it may seem. It was like trading two fourths for two seconds. Yeah. Well, I think two things, cause I know you'd asked me what if I was Chicago I said, I'm not trading Hagel unless I'm getting, you know, enough back to make it worthwhile. And so I think for, for Chicago that made it worthwhile. There's two first rounders now for this trade to work out for Chicago, your scouts got to do their job. This is where you're putting your trust in your scouts because first round picks on paper, there's still people here first round pick and they get excited, right? They think Ovechkin and, you know, they think the top end guys and, and sure. Hey, there's Corey Perry's that could be taken late in the first round let's make no mistake about it but there's also there can be lots of misses so those picks and that trade it could look in the future very good for chicago but it's going to rest on their drafting development no question otherwise it's just oh, we, we got we got quantity we didn't get quality once you get past seventh overall it, it's like really a roll of the dice that's like traditionally the cutoff like you know in the top seven you're getting pretty much a bona fide guaranteed nhl player there's a lot of guys. The draft is littered with guys in the teens and twenties that never played. Yeah. Yeah. I've t- a lot of scouts tell me they think it's 20 and that it's, and it used to be earlier, but they feel there's a little bit more depth because teams have figured out overall how to, how to develop better. They don't rush kids as much. We, like, we see them. Some guys send kids back to junior for another year. You know, they keep them out of the AHL mm-hmm. if they're Europeans for a little bit longer. So they're smartening up a bit, but yeah, you're right, Frank. Like I had scouts tell me once you get to pick 20, pick 20 to pick 50, they think they're all the same. Exactly. So, you know, for Chicago, like the other interesting part of it is like, you remember a number of years back, they traded Ryan Hartman. Yeah. He was a couple years older than Hagel, but on a similar contract. And they also got a first round pick for him. Hartman had 19 goals that year when he was traded and Hagel was at 21 when he got traded. Looking back on it now, you'd say you trade Ryan Hartman for a first round pick all day long. Mm hmm. Not saying Hagel is going to become Ryan Hartman because I think he's a better player. I think yeah. he brings more to the table. But uh, I, it was this trade. It's it's so polarizing depending on who you talk to and how you view the player. I felt like the people that were ripping the lightning for what they gave up didn't watch or haven't watched Brandon Hagel closely enough to understand his game. Like anyone that was, that had commentary about, Oh, well, his shooting percentage is 22%. You don't watch almost all of his goals have been scored within a five foot area around the net. It's, it's totally, you could duplicate that year in and year out, given how close he he is to the net. It's like Shaq having a high shooting percentage. Of course he does. He dunks the ball eight times a game. Yeah. Well, I remember when Drysaddle broke out as a goal scorer. That was the number one. Oh, his re- his regression. Well, Drysaddle's pretty much hovered around a 20% shooter. He's not a high volume shooter. He scores, you know, he doesn't waste shots. Some guys will shoot from everywhere. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. So it's, you're, you're right. You, you can't, I get the average of shooting percentage and for a team, you, you can, you can crunch numbers and there's, there's enough data to tell you that, you know, that will itself even out a little bit, but there are some players that are going to be higher shooting percentage players. Simply there is, right? It's that's kind of been proven out over time. And you're right, especially guys like Ryan Smith, guys who who don't shoot from distance very often, 
more often they're going to have a better shooting percentage because they just they don't take as many shots. And then they're shooting from a higher percentage chance of scoring. Here's the bottom line takeaway for me on the trade is that this actually, I think, is a win for both sides. Chicago gets their two first round picks. They get two players that they can use. They were used to help make the money work going back to Tampa. But you look at Radish and the, the chemistry that he had in junior with DeBrinket and with Strom, you know, all having 100 point seasons that year in Erie. That's a guy you plug in and try out, see what you can get from him. Boris Kachuk, like another guy, a bona fide NHL player that wasn't given the opportunity to really move up the lineup at all in Tampa. Two first, two NHL players. You can see why it makes sense for them. And you can also see why it makes sense for Tampa. They've now got, you know, three playoffs with Brandon Hagel at a minuscule cap hit for a guy that scored 20 on a team and could easily score more than that in the right position on a great team. Yeah. Oh yeah. There was, was there any trade that you're kind of like, meh, like it's a trade. I'm not sure it's going to help the contending team. Oh, a contending team. I, I thought, I thought that was the perfect opportunity to turn a side eye toward the Travis Hamannick to Ottawa deal. Yeah. Well, I, I think Ottawa, like I'm assuming they're going for the personality of, of a, and character of a guy like Hamannick. No, I guess. I mean, yeah. I, I heard the opposite of how he acted in Vancouver, but that's just me. Okay. Um, I was very surprised even just on the contract alone to get a, a team to take one more year on a player. That's been a very marginal player at 3 million and to give you a third round pick for it. I was very surprised. Well, when they ship out, so you can't come to a con the part that, that I raised an eyebrow is so you're going to lose Nick Paul. Cause I think in, because you can't get to a contract negotiation and I, I still they never got close. This, yeah. And I just don't understand why they couldn't have got close. But then you're going to pay the money for Hamnick. Like that, that seems to, to me that's an the organization. first thing I said to myself, three million bucks, that's the money for Nick Paul. Yeah. So I don't, it's it's like there's there's still a lack of direction in where the organization's going because you knew exactly what you had in Nick Paul. And right now, today, Nick Paul's a more impactful player than Travis Hamnick. I think the ask from the Paul camp was four years times three million. I, I, I'm totally going out on a limb when I say this and hypothesizing, I bet if it came down to it, that they might've done three times three. Yeah. If you pushed a little bit on term, they, they never, the number never started with a three from Ottawa's side. They were always in the twos. Yeah. And, and you know what, if you get to 2.8 or nine and you're that close, you'd, you'd think you'd figure Just it out. Just do it. Now, I know that the Ryan Smith, hey, there was 100 grand back in 2007. Uh, well, hey, that's what spurred on OrdersNation.com, really, that trade. So, which which uh, led many years later to daily faceoff. So, uh, sometimes that's a good thing. But um, you, uh, th- that that combination of trades, right? Because I was on record, I'm still on record. I think Ottawa is going to regret that, uh, not signing Nick Paul, because I don't think his ask um, was going to be outrageous that it's going to set you back in your cap and, and limit you, especially on a team that's not close to the cap. Mm-hmm. What about um, Vancouver and, and the Tyler Mott trade and just the reaction from it? Like, remember leading in, it was like breathless reporting. They're only going to take a, a, a top 40 pick for Tyler Mott or else they're not trading him. Does, yeah. does any market, and, and I, this, is, uh, this is me saying it as a Tyler Mott fan, I, I think he 
is one of the rare line drivers that you can reliably put in the bottom six. Like I, I really think he's a quality player and an important piece on a really good team. Does any any fan base or market overvalue their players like Vancouver? Whew. That's a good question. I'd have to look. I, I think I think everybody's guilty of it. I get trade requests all the time, and usually the trade requests are really benefiting their team, which I understand that's what fans are supposed to do, right? Because uh, sometimes you're valuing your player without necessarily seeing enough of the of the opposition one but yeah the, the, i did chuckle when i heard a top 40 pick and i'm like you know Mott's a bottom six guy and um you know he's he's really good penalty killer he's an energy guy frank but so is brendan hagel but brendan hagel has 21 goals right that that to me yeah like, but over his last 82 going into the trade deadline tyler mod had 14 yeah but that's a big jump still right yeah um, no it is it's 50 percent. but i think that's being, a, that's a trade where I firmly believe what the GM texts me on Friday trades are the price for some guys are going to come down near the deadline. And I think at the end, Vancouver was like, we're not going to resign this guy. So we're just going to take what we can get. And price came down on a lot of guys. That's yeah. what always happened. Like look at Max Domi and that deal getting in at two fifty nine before the three o'clock deadline. Carolina essentially got him for free. So can I ask you a question? Why would Florida like, man, that prospect must be really good because you're helping a potential, con you know, a team that you could meet in the conference final. That was a yeah, little I think surprising. It was just a free six round pick. Yeah. Right. But would you do that? Like what if Domi uh, and scores a big goal against Florida in the conference final? You know what I mean? A lot like of things need to happen in order yeah, for that. But to I'm happen. just a little surprised that, that that's the team you would do it for. Yeah, That's all. Like, usually I, you I don't think, see it. Usually the third, uh, the third party team that you, you know, you, you had, I think you even had third party teams in your top 50 um, and rightfully so that um, it was a team that was still in the running against a team that they could meet up that. And that's okay. Like it might not meet up, so it might be irrelevant, but I found that a little intriguing. Florida was the most eager team to use their cap space with the Aaron Eckblad LTIR. Yeah. Okay. I listed them as the top team to be a third party broker because they wanted to be in the mix. They were like, we just traded away so many picks. Even if we're getting late ones back, it's just one more bullet in the chamber for us when we get to the draft that we otherwise wouldn't have had. And so for them to use their cap space that they were going to lose anyway, it's an, I think it's a little bit of an antiquated feel or thinking to, to say, well, we're not going to do it because it's Carolina. Yeah, no, that's fair. And Hey, you take, you take the pick wherever you can get it. Cause yeah. the odds that they win both rounds and you win both rounds. I mean, Tyler could probably tell us what they would be. It, it's, it would be pretty small. No, oh yeah. No, no, no. I've, I've, I've done. Yeah. The, uh, the percentage of, of, uh, of getting the, the, those two are both going to be in the final, obviously is pretty low, especially with how tight it is in the, uh, in the Eastern conference right now. Now, Frank, you had the big story uh, yesterday uh, speaking of uh, cap space money and Hey man, I've been pumping this. We've been talking about this for months. So I was quite excited to read your article yesterday about a very simple thing. And we've taught, this was very simple, have a cap 
in the playoffs. And this one's even, you know, a little bit better because it's only 20 man roster, which I understand because if there are the odd team who's cap compliant, because the salary cap, for those who don't really understand it, it's every day. So you can technically accrue more space if you don't go over all the time. And then at the trade deadline, in theory, you know, you can add a little bit more at that time that makes it look like you're over the cap, but you haven't been over the cap because you've accrued space. So, but never is like, it's never going to be enough to compensate over to be like, you know, two and a half million dollars or anything, which would be three minimum uh, contract players. So I love this idea, Frank. I know it won't come in this year, but like the NHL's got to incorporate this, do they not? Like, it seems like a no brainer. I, I don't know that the league itself is sold on it actually being an issue. I think that they see why teams would be upset. They also know that it's a pretty unique set of circumstances that have to come into play. It involves basically a season ending injury or regular season ending injury for a player well ahead of the deadline. That is also a player that's a big enough cap hit to have you add a player of significance at the deadline and be able to use this quote unquote loophole. Yeah. Like it's rare. I get it. Like Chicago did it with Patrick Kane. And I think that I, I believe wholeheartedly Mark Stone's injured. So I don't question that. I think where the teams question like a Kucherov had Kucherov been able to play in the last week of the season. Last well, he year. was able to play. Yeah. He right. So you skating six weeks before yeah. the season so, ended. So those are the, the examples where now you wait a week now. Hey, it's rare for like you have to be elite talent to not play as long as Kucherov does come in the playoffs and be that good. So let's give him credit. But I can see why teams would say, Hey, you know what? If you want to hold out the guy and, and no one questions the legitimacy of the injury at the start of when they're injured, it's the timeline of like, I think people were looking at Vegas and you know, if Mark stone would have been out, maybe he's ready to play. He's not ready to play now, of course, but maybe he's ready on April 20th, but they hold him out until April 29th. Now the season's over. He comes back for the playoffs. That's a huge benefit to your team. So at least making it compliant that your roster, has to be cap compliant like it solves that issue for me yeah and it doesn't I mean, hurt look, the team. you can add all the guys you want in the regular season the, on, the only point is you the, the team you ice on that night in the playoffs needs exactly. to be under 81.5 yeah i don't care who you have you can dress as many as you want as long as they're under 81.5 Meaning you can dress as many of the big names as you want, as long as the math works, sit out one of your other big guns if you want to and make the choice roster wise. Yeah. I love it. I have, I really hope they do it. It's, it's just, it's all it it doesn't stop anyone from helping their team when someone is injured. I think, and that's the point of it. It's just that everyone, once you get to the most important, most critical time of the year that everyone's playing on a level playing field. Yeah, it's, it's it's a simple fix that it's very it's like the fix four and four, Frank. These are two fixes that could happen very easily that do not change the integrity of the game. In fact, maybe it benefits it in the cap world, but it, it has it. So it's better for the league overall. It's more of a fair statement and it helps rivalries of four on four. Those two things should be the easiest changes that the GMs make. So people were up in arms about me again, pointing out on Thursday about Kucherov. Like, I I just want to reiterate for anyone listening. There was never any issue with Nikita Kucherov being injured. The issue was that they planned it out and timed it out and never made any moves on their roster so that he would sit out the entire season. 
Like, so let's rewind for one second. This is very, it is a very easy timeline to explain. The Tampa Bay Lightning win the Stanley Cup in September. Free agency opens in October and they don't, they have a team that's way over the cap and they don't make any moves. They don't trade away any of their players. And we're all going, how's this team going to be cap compliant? Lo and behold, October passes, November passes, Christmas passes, and Nikita Kucherov undergoes surgery in the last week in December. Oh, okay. What's the timeline for Nikita Kucherov's injury? Some may say, oh, well, this would only work in a shortened pandemic season, a 56-game season. Maybe they're right. Either way, they gamed it out to the point where they knew that Kucherov would be back for game one of the playoffs, and he was skating six weeks before the season ended. He probably could have played with three weeks left. Yeah. There are other potential solutions instead of the one that I wrote about. The other is just that if a player is on the, on LTIR at the last day of the regular season, that he must sit out the first round. That's another potential option. The other one is if he's been on LTIR for half the season or more then he needs to sit out for the first two rounds. Or the other one could be that if you want to be used in the playoffs, you must be on the cap and fit on the cap. Even if you're not playing, you must fit on the cap by the last day of the regular season. There's all sorts of ways to do this to prevent teams from loading up, which I believe was was the goal or the plan of the Vegas Golden Knights the entire time. Well, it's hard, yeah, it's definitely hard to argue with that one. So it, I think a, they made the trade for Jack Eichel in November, knowing that Mark Stone's injury was bad enough that they could put him on LTIR the rest of the year and not have hmm. any cap consequences. Yeah, interesting. So, well, it, it might not matter now, Frank, because uh, now the Vegas Golden Knights, they did get a huge win last night, uh, 6-1 uh, over Nashville. And I know if people Jenny go Dadunov to... scoring. Hey, I know if people go to NHL.com right now, they'll be confused because it hasn't updated a lot of the games from last night yet. There's something wrong with their server because um, it still has the, the amount of games played the same as yesterday, right? Like, if you look at Edmonton, it still says they've got 64 games played. They've now played 65, I'm pretty sure. So, because um, they have 17 games left now. Um, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that was game 64. I have to double check, but cause I thought they were three points back of LA and then last night LA lost in overtime and Edmonton won. So they should be two, but yeah, I, I actually thought that no, no, it's right. Cause they were at 75 points. They had, and they had to go 10 and eight to get to 95. And it still says that. So yeah, they haven't updated LA or Edmonton, any of the late games. And I have to double check if they've even updated the, uh, the early ones. I so don't know that wrong. they did because I think yeah. Boston was only two points back one point back of Tampa. And I think they're now past them. Okay. Well, there you go. So yeah. that'll, uh, that'll change it when I get, maybe by the time our pods live uh, note, uh, it might be updated, but don't, uh, be sure to check the games played. And if it doesn't say uh, your, your team has added a game, then obviously something's up with the uh, the server. Let's bring in uh, Tyler Uremchuk for a rip roaring edition of uh, Buy or Sell. Yes, it's the people's favorite segment of the week. People always say they can barely sleep on Thursday because they know a buy or sell segment is coming on Friday. Uh, it's brought to you by our friends at DoorDash. Promo code RUNDOWNDD gets you 25% off and no delivery fees on your first order. Ding dong. It's Friday. It's the so best thing going. Uh, all right. Moritz Sider. Boy, he was, there was a lot of buzz about big Mo Sider on the Red Wings blue line this week. Mo money. And a lot of talk of, oh, is he going to get Norris votes this year? Which I think might be a little premature, but your first buy or sell question. Moritz Sider will have a Norris within four years. Jason, you buying or selling? 
Oh man. It's <sighs> a good it's a loaded field, right? When you look at who he'd have to be kind of uh, dethroning. Look at, look at how many Norris trophies Victor Hedman's won. So I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna sell as well. Um yeah. Kel McCarr Calder. He got he finished in ninth place in the Norris trophy race as a rookie. So yes, Mars Sider will get Norris trophy votes, probably in a five spot or something like that. And I just think there's so many guys in line ahead of him to get Norris trophies that I can't guarantee that he gets one in four years. Um, Makar, Heiskanen, you know, there's a, there's a lot of vets that are still in that category. Yossi might, Yossi might have what a 90 point season. Like he's, (laughs) Have you seen what Roman Yossi has been doing lately? It's unbelievable. Like Roman Yossi is sixth in the, what is he? Sixth or seventh in the NHL in scoring after Kyle Connor scored his 40th last night. But there was so much talk, Makar, Makar and Hedman. That's it. Roman Yossi, he might be the favorite now. Look at his numbers. Like they're unbelievable, but that's going to be a great vote between the three of them. Um, uh, He's on pace for 103 points. My math was off. Yeah. (laughs) A hundred and three. What's the last 100 point defenseman we had? And it's not even like he's on like an offensive juggernaut of a team. Like it's Nashville. Like they're good, but it's not like, right. It's not like he's doing it with like Colorado or Tampa Bay where it's like, he's surrounded by offensive superstars. Is Paul coffee. The last 100 point defenseman. Um, I was thinking Brian Leach. But coffee uh, had a uh, hundred and three in 1990. Yeah. Leach had a hundred and two in 92. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. No one else has done it since then, huh? Nope, not since then. The the closest, and I'm I'm just looking this up. The closest since then, Ray Bork had 91 in in 94. So since 94, then Leach had 85 and 96. Um, Brent, Brent Burns, Burns had one in the 80s. Yeah, Brent Burns had 83 in 2019, and Carlson, Carlson had one. Yeah, 82. So yeah. Roman Yossi is going to beat both of those. This is the greatest offensive season we've seen from a defenseman in 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 almost uh, 30 years. So it's uh, well because if he gets uh if he gets into the the 90s then he'll definitely be the most since uh, 92 which is 30 years which is crazy wow i mean you adjust for arrow with that as well potentially right i know people like to do that it's crazy uh next one a name that didn't move at the deadline but has certainly had his name in the rumor mill is sean monahan i'm gonna say sean monahan will not be a flame next season frankie buying or selling buying i think there is a five percent chance that he is a flame next season Right. He might be a healthy scratch tonight against Arizona. They're talking. So, man, it's funny in Calgary when, when you have to re-sign Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk, who are UFA RFA, some money's got to go out. Mm-hmm. But man, now Monahan could completely salvage himself. Uh, depends yep, on that's how why he teams plays. are interested. Yeah, because I look at Sean Monahan, and up until the middle of last year, same draft class, he had had more goals than Nathan McKinnon. Like he's been a consistent, you know, twenty-eight to thirty goals. He's thirty thirty guy. every year for like five straight years. And so I'm wondering, honestly, guys, like I've looked at a lot of times when you see consistent players, and then they have like this dip. I wonder if if Monahan is playing and he's got some sort of lingering injury. Because if the wheels have completely fallen off. That's that's an outlier. Usually there, there's there's something else. So I think there'd be value, but I will also buy. And I think Calgary's g- going to move them because they have no choice because they'd rather keep Kachuk and Goudreau. And I understand and even if yeah. Monaghan's good, they'd still probably rather keep Kachuk and Goudreau. 
Yeah, I don't think they'll have a lot of trouble moving a Sean Monahan. The next name on uh, my list here is Jonathan Taves. And I'm going to say, Frank, we talked about this a little bit on the Daily Faceoff show earlier this week. I'm going to say Jonathan Taves will not be a Blackhawk next season. He's got that big $10.5 million cap hit. I don't know if a trade's possible, maybe a buyout's more likely, who knows. But Jonathan Taves will not be a Blackhawk next season. Gregor, buying or selling? There was so much talk and... The, the Hawks, I, I don't even know, you know, buying out, I guess they would save some money, sure, but they don't necessarily need to it. I'd have to look. Is, I can't remember. Was his contract, is he making the same amount of money as, as cap space next year? If he's got a lower... No, he, it's no, a little lower. So he's got a little lower. So then that, that might that might do it, but... I, they I could think- buy him out and over the next two seasons, I looked at the buyout the other day, it's like a $9 million cap hit next year and like a 900,000 one oh, the year after. So they would actually save a half a million bucks in cap space. I just go ahead. Doesn't, I want you to finish your point first. Yeah. So to me, I'm not sure it's not enough for a team. That's not a cap space team, unless there's some other issues where they just feel Taves can't play. So I'm going to sell and say that he, uh, he remains in Chicago because I don't think there's a big trade market, <laughs> even at, at 50%. That's there's probably not a big trade market. I'm going to buy and I'm going to say that he's not back next year just because he's obviously been pretty vocal and isn't happy about what's going on there. Disheartening is the word that he used previously. He said, well, if Hagel is the guy getting traded from here, like, I don't know how we're going to do this. And seems like a lot of, I don't want to say whining, but it's like he hasn't held up his end of the bargain on his contract. So He's a shell of his former self. And yes, I get Jonathan Taves, the ultimate leader, part of three Stanley Cups, a huge part of them. One of the most dedicated and uh, decorated players of his generation. But stop, like, stop crying. Like, that's what it feels like to me. It's like your team has fallen on hard times. They also haven't won a playoff series since you signed your $10.5 million deal. Your deal. And it's not anything on him. His contract and Patrick Kane's contract took a lot out of the Hawks being competitive from a cap perspective. Because you got to remember back seven years ago, the cap was started. It was probably still in the 60s then. Yeah. I will say this. Patrick Kane has lived up to his deal 100%. It's Taves. 100%. Yeah. So Taves, it just feels like they might be better off cutting the cord. If that's the attitude that he's going to have, he needs to, to, to shape up his attitude or else it doesn't make a lot of sense for them to even have him around. Last one I got for you. It's the points bet bonus question brought to you by our friends at points bet Canada. How about this for a weird little like betting anomaly? I'll call it the Vegas golden Knights 20 to one still to win the Stanley cup. They are right tied with the Rangers. They have better Stanley cup odds than the Bruins, Blues, Oilers, Capitals, Preds, Kings, and Stars. Yet, when you go to look at their odds to make the playoffs, they're minus 200 to miss the playoffs. So you barely make any money betting on them to miss the playoffs, but they have better Stanley Cup odds than like six or seven teams who are looking like they're close to locks to making the playoffs. That's just a weird thing I wanted to get out there because I it just shows you how odd and finicky the betting market can be sometimes. Uh, but if the playoffs ended today, the playoff matchups would be, and yes, Frank, I did this based on points percentage. Don't worry. And I made sure to add in the games from last night because NHL.com doesn't know how. In the West, it would be Colorado, Dallas, mini St. Louis, Calgary, Nashville, LA, Edmonton. And then in the East, it would be 
Florida, Washington. Then it would be Boston, Carolina, Pittsburgh, New York, Toronto, Boston. Which one of those potential first round matchups would produce the most entertaining series is your points bet question. Frank. I thought your question was going to be which one of these matchups has the greatest chance for an upset. And sure, my answer was going to be Nashville over Calgary, just because I could see UC Saro stealing a series. And they have the greatest offensive defenseman ever in Roman Yossi. <laughs> um, but Calgary is going to be a tough out. I think yeah. regardless um, there, that team's built for the playoffs. So stand by on that. Uh, what were the Atlantic division matchups matchups again? It would be Florida, Washington, Tampa, Boston. Hmm. Who's Toronto? Because neither one. Toronto, Boston. Oh, no, you have to be at Boston twice. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Toronto, uh, Tampa. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Probably Toronto, Tampa. Because there's a lot of pressure on the Leafs to win a first round series. And frankly, there's with what the lightning added, there's pressure on them to keep their run going. I'm actually going to go a little old school and think back to the days of the Norris division. And uh, I think St. Like Frank talked earlier, like I would love to see Minnesota Nashville because both those teams have bulked up, man. That would be an old slobber knocker series, but I think the blues still can play that way. So from an entertainment standpoint, I don't think either team has a chance to win the cup. Unfortunately, I think there's better teams, but from an entertainment wise, I think that first round matchup, uh, the blues and the wild could be entertaining, man. Like, like I would love to see Nashville and Minnesota right now. Those two teams, they both added a lot. They had a lot of physicality, had a lot of big players and they both added more of them. I would love to see them. It would just be old school. The only problem is hardly anyone would watch the games because they start at 845. Uh, unfortunately, they get. I feel sorry for Central fans. I'm just going to put that out there right in advance. I feel sorry for Central Time Zone fans because in the first round, man, they get bent over with start times. All right, that will do it. Uh, slobber knocker was not a word I was expecting to hear in this week's edition of Buy or Sell, but that'll be a wrap presented by DoorDash. Ding dong. <laughs> so good gets me every time oh it does it is odd but it's true man i feel sorry i'm just central fans if you can and i know that science says we can't really bank sleep but my goodness if you could because that's that sucks for young kids man like that first round matchup i don't know they got to try to figure out a way uh to change it because it's brutal i was just thinking as he read off the matchups and like which one would i like to go and cover like which one is the most interesting oh well, Tampa, Toronto, because you got a chance of a team going for a three-peat, which hasn't happened since the early 80s, right? And then you've got a team that that's, uh, you know, one of the bigger markets that that has tons of coverage and, and arguably one of the biggest fan bases around. So there's lots of pressure. Yeah, that would, I, I could see that one. But the only thing I don't like about Tyler's um, outline is that it has crossover that's unnecessary. Boo. I'm just going to say Boo, that right yeah, now. That, Boo. So my thing is points percentage. Your thing is, is crossover. No, but that's even if it crush. wasn't, even if you went it on points, Frank, right now. No, I know, but be. I'm saying you, you, you hate the crossover and I hate the, that people quote standings without points percentage. So <laughs> we each have our but, quirks. But the good news is at the end of the regular season, the points percentage and the points are the same. Well, but the crossover yeah, still should, there. They should be, but yeah, the crossover still there. So boo. Hopefully, uh, NHL. Hey, Gary, Bill, hello, wake up. This is good for your league. It's a very simple solution. Stay in your divisions when it's four and four. It's like the easiest solution possible. We might have to just get. Is is this what we do now? And we should get an online petition. Should I ask Frank. this question at the GM meetings next week? Uh, you better. If you don't ask, I'll be pissed off. Yes, ask the question. Like, why aren't they doing it? 
Like you say you want rivalries, you, you build your schedule around that. And then you completely uh, obliterate it um, in, in the postseason. Like there's no reason to do it. Crazy. Yeah. Frankie, have yourself a great week and uh, a weekend. There's some big games to watch for this weekend. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, we will, uh, I'll say another thing, Frank, if you're looking to travel, there's one series now. It would only happen potentially in the second round that hasn't happened in 30 years. It's trending potentially that the orders and flames could meet for the first time. That's actually what I was going to say is I think I might keep my powder dry in the first round of week because oh. the second round matchups between that and also Tampa, Florida could be so juicy that it they they they're more important than the first round matchups which yeah, well, it's almost always the other way around the first yes. round is almost always more interesting than the second this year it's building to a a crescendo in the second round and hey what about the fact frank toronto boston again who doesn't want to see that yeah cuz leaf fans eventually they're like we got to win right got to slay the dragon at some point oh like that i think would they would another. win that series could you imagine Tampa, Florida first round, Boston, Toronto first round? It could happen. If if the Leafs, that's the one, that's if that ends up being their series that they get and they lose, like that's the one they should be the favorite in. That's probably the only first round matchup they should be the favorite in. With Lindholm addition, I don't know if I'd say that. Man, Boston's been really good. You just you you quoted your U.S. Come on, uh, man. The the Leafs have been the way better team all year. But your your stat that you just said, Frank, USAT stat. Where's Boston? The ranked higher, and now they just added Lindholm. I'm I'm literally just saying if that's the series they get and they lose, that's the one where I think you just okay. You blow everything up. Well, let's have it happen, Frank. I want it for the intrigue. Florida, Tampa, Boston, Toronto. I root for chaos. Hockey gods, please make it happen. Everybody have a great weekend. Enjoy it. Uh, The playoff picture will get a little bit clearer by the time we talk to you next. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.